0: Ah, uh, episode number two of the new season of the Enya Podcast, Miami Now. And uh, I wanted to talk to Kiel. She's a wonderful artist and singer, and you may know her from her activism. She's been really outspoken about helping people in Cuba get freedom, freedom of expression, all, every kind of freedom. And you're listening to her song, What's Your Stage, in the background. And she's also an actor and producer and uh, she was involved in the film Plantadas, and we talk about that. And there's a lot of things in our community, but she came to my attention because of her music videos. You can find her on YouTube. Sometimes she she goes by Madame Key, but also you can find them all under Kiel, K-I-E-L-E. And she's fantastic. You've never seen, you know, creative um stuff like that the music is fat it's on point it's wonderful and everything has a miami flavor and rhythm to it and i think you'll be blown away and i had a we had a really interesting conversation about balancing art and life and activism and the challenges of it and the rewards of it like i said look up her videos of some of the most creative 305 miami things you can see and the music is on point as well a big kick out of my conversation with Kiel.
1: Hi, how are you? Oh,
0: thank you for being on with us. Thanks for being on the um, end.
1: Of course. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very, very happy to be here.
2: Well, there's, you know, people like yourselves that do a lot of different things very well, it can be tricky to find the right lane. Because so many lanes are open to you, yeah. I hope you're, you're a wonderful musician, wonderful producer, wonderful artist, as a rapper, singer, you know, um, mm-hmm. entertainer. And then you have the activism side of things. I are have been very involved with de Cuba, la causa de Cuba de Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I have to say, the first way that I found out about you was in an art as an artist. Um, yeah. And I think it was your song, Afi Lola.
1: mm, Classic, and, yes, of course.
2: And I see this video and I'm like, where, where do they make this human being, that <laughs> level of creativity and the way you incorporated our culture and the 305, the Cuban culture, but the larger Latin or Hispanic culture, the way you incorporated this whole Miami Mm -hmm. it was so powerful to me when I saw the video which we're going to post on our site and and people can see it there it's on YouTube and so forth who I was like who is this person where do they come from I want to talk to you about all your songs about all the things that you do but tell me what your you know first of all can you tell me how you came up with that song and then take me backwards and tell me how does a little girl grow up to to be
1: clear? of course, you know. Um, so, afiladora has a very interesting origin story. It was actually at the very first Three Points Festival that I had the inspiration of the song. Uh, I I still to this day think that the Three Points Festival, of the first year, is the best Three Points Festival to date. It's it's a, you know it's a Miami-based music festival that has grown extensive popularity uh, over the years. The very first year they had um, Erika Budi. Music festival. And so I was there, I was with my brother, the person that produced Afiladora. And I was, um, you know, the concert, everybody kind of dresses in like their own Miami vibe. It's a very Miami centric, Music festival, you know. Um, so um, I was there, and I was I was dressed, you know, in like my normal—not normal, but very eccentric, you know. Miami energy, and I looked very tall. And I was like, you know, I was like, if I had, just seeing all the different Cuban influences and things like that, I just thought of the whistle, the afilador whistle, in the moment. And I started making, like, the hook in my head, like, afiladora, it just came together. And I was like, I want to make a song that's talking about Miami and, like, my Cuban-American culture within that. And it's, like, empowering, right? And it has that feminine angle that has to do with the afilador, you know? And specifically using the sample of the whistle from the bus because the afilador bus is iconic to our culture here in Miami, as well as, you know, in Cuba. We get that from Cuba as well. And all over parts of Latin America, there's afilador trucks. But I wanted to take that sound and I wanted to sample it. So I went with that idea that I came up with in the concert. And as soon as I came back home, uh, we started playing with the with the whistle and the sample. And it became like almost like a movie. In my, in my head, you know, sometimes like different uh, different parts of the creative process come to you at different points, right? Sometimes if for a song with a music video, for instance, you might have uh, the melody that comes to you first or you might have uh, lyrics that come to you first. But in that, for, for Afiladora, it was specifically the whistle and like the imagery of video coming into my head. Like I want it to be very like local Uh, rooted Miami, southwest, you know, Westchester vibes, underground, um, house party, you know, how we kind of like grew up, you know, because the Afilador bus in general, I remember growing up as a kid, always thinking it was an ice cream truck. And then you go outside and you'd be like, oh, it's the Afilador, (laughs) you know, it's something completely different. But um. That idea of like going and being with your group of friends and then almost like a video game, you know, like your kids, you're going to go get ice cream, but really it's the Asilador truck, you know, and then you guys are going to go, you know, It, it became, it became a whole narrative in my head. And so I wanted to bring that to fruition in the video, which is what you see, you know, kind of like a regular hometown girl from, you know, Southwest Miami being this like superhero within her own world right or was they was she a super vill- a hero was she a villain is she an anti-hero you know like all those kinds of ideas are explored in different scenes within within the within the music video so yeah it was definitely you know also a community effort to make the produce the product it was my very first music video. Um I was just getting into film production, so I had a really good friend of mine uh, directed at that time that he's now been able to go on to work with a lot of other artists, uh, musical artists, and he's still directing and producing videos. Um, you know, and it, it was a great it was a great experience overall. and I think it's still very true to, you know the root of of like who I am because it's just it's 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 real Miami like that's what that to, to a degree you know when but um, yeah when you're, Go ahead.
2: when you're watching it you can't fathom that this is not something that doesn't have a that this isn't something that has a major label behind it it's so slickly produced, produce the song and the video too the video has you know it just looks like a million bucks and it's just so creative, and it's like this distillation of the Miami vibe, but it's a very specific Westchestery Miami vibe, you know, Lower Westchester. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, you don't often see the culture, uh, you know. Obviously, Pitbull does it, and 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 I think we're all really grateful that he does. But you don't see it a lot. You don't see the, that grittiness, um, mm-hmm. which also is a tropical groovy. You 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 really captured a lot. Um it's Thank I think they say, they say art's about not taking anything for granted and the video sort of really celebrates things, but then it gives it this surrealistic kind of David Lynch Donnie Darko vibe. Yes. It's really something else. How did you come up with that whole concept of
1: that twist, right? The whole that- thing like,
2: where, where you're like with the headdress and the uh, you know I mean, yeah. it's pretty out
1: there yeah i know i mean it's like a five minute video and there are many scenes and some scenes might like i really i wanted to make it feel like a dream sequence i wanted it to be surreal i did not want it to feel i wanted you to to feel like there's no the line between what is reality and what is not is very thin and you can't tell if she's actually if the protagonist is really experiencing these things or if they're just uh, a vision within a vision. Right. So in that sense, I wanted to go through the main narrative, which was like, again, the group of kids, the rambunctious neighborhood kids that are hanging out. Right. And then they go to the truck and they, but once they go to the truck, the truck like kind of transforms them into these, you know, um, characters like these kind of like superhero characters how i had said earlier and now they're and then the next scene after the truck is the the house party right or like the party um there's like an inside house party part and there's an outside house party part and it's really like these characters now interacting in a new world when the scene comes with the headdress uh that particularly is its own world completely why the song breaks to a clave iwawanko section and the clave iwawanko is traditional cuban music so when that comes in i wanted it to be almost like the the little girl from the neighborhood is now you know a deity this this is this has now become a deity that's like speaking Within the narrative, is this deity a part of the greater magic of the afilador? Maybe, maybe not. You know, it's a, it, that is the part that really, I guess, connects with Cuban culture, like directly the most, and it's like a very obvious, clear reference because you see the fire, you know. And it's funny, I'm not, I'm not a a santera. I I technically I'm I'm Catholic, but I do. Obviously, I have a lot of that influence. And I had a lot of Santeros come up to me after seeing the video and being like, oh, that has references of Oya. Oh, yeah. oh, that has references of this. And like when I was in the process of directing and producing this, I, that none of that came to my mind. And then after the fact, I see all these things that other people notice in the process. And I'm like, oh, wow, that I guess that could definitely be perceived in that way of of, you know, of connecting to this spiritual deity or, or this, you know, spiritual reference. So I really love that. I love that. And um,
2: that does make sense when you think about it because of the symbolism. And that had not occurred to me. But yet, now that you say it, obviously,
1: and, and yeah. much more, you
2: know what I mean? Is, is yeah, with the,
1: mm-hmm, with the colors and the fire and the fire dancer, whatever people, somebody came up to me once and were like, oh my gosh, I love your Oya reference. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and they're uh, like, yeah, this part where you did this, like, of course you did it because of that, right? And it, I was like, no, but that's it, really it, it, interesting.
2: And sometimes we, those things are present and we're not even aware that they're present because they're just
1: yeah. part yeah. of the
2: culture and part of the, they're so deep.
1: Exactly. Deep
2: in green into everything that we're doing and, and those multiple meanings just emerge it, it is really beautiful, and it caught me by surprise, and I thought this person must have the world's resources behind them. You know, you see, profi- you see videos that are, um, you have a very talented crew around you because obviously you're also super talented. And your brother's the producer?
1: Yeah, my brother was the producer for The Beat, 100%. And, you know, right now, he uh, just recently became the head audio engineer for The Fillmore. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, that's very exciting. You know,
2: I'm like, who's this woman? So before we get into your other videos, before we talk about Malasue, or Suete, Malasue, or uh, what's your stage, I wanted to ask you, where the hell do you, or the heaven, where do you come from? How did you, you know... You seem to be a fully formed artist already, being bound, there's no like development. It's like, at this, this is what you get. People, sp- labels spend years developing stars to where they have that kind of a look and presence and feel and you're just like out of the gate. And mm-hmm. I know how difficult it can be to balance trying to make art and music and then other passions. Like mm-hmm. I know you have a passion for, as I mentioned, you know, other things. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and and then making a living. Those are three different things that are not always interrelated, you know? Yeah. Where did you grow up? What's your background? Where would you go to school? And how did you come to inhabit our beautiful world?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I'm born and raised in Miami. Miami girl, Westchester girl, you know, different, like, similar to many cities depending on where you grow up has a very specific influence so you know I had the very particular Cuban you know Cuban-American influence in in that part of Miami and uh, I grew up with mainly my mother Uh, I would say honestly like 95 percent of my upbringing was with my wonderful amazing single mother Um, and my mother is in herself a very unique person in that she is you know she likes to say you know we're left brain and right brain we got them both kind of active and going on and you know she was in a punk band in new york for 10 years and then and it became very successful in her own right Did she you tell me
2: with your mom for the ramones
1: yeah exactly she played with the ramones uh, she's played in CBGB so many times. That's uh, yeah, so many times, you know, she's met Blondie, and like, well, they were all, you know, a teen together at, uh, in that period of the 80s punk scene in New York. Um, and, but then she had my brother, and she just felt like New York wasn't the best environment to raise children at the time. So she moved back to Miami. My brother is 10 years older than me. As I said, he, you know, he's an audio engineer now. And yeah, we just grew up our little unit in, in, you know, South Miami. And my mom came, and when she came back to Miami, she started working in the Cuban activism, you know, more involved in that because the community was kind of just asking for that extra level of, of assistance and engagement. And my grandmother had been involved um, always in what is, you know, the fight for freedom in Cuba. She was a uh, democratically elected labor leader who, you know, at first she supported Fidel, you know, which like a lot of people did at the beginning of rev- of the revolution, right? And then once he revealed that he was a communist, because he didn't come out that way forwardly, uh, that he wasn't going to get free elections, she, she, you know, turned against him and began to work against that level of tyranny and so that's what was imparted into my mother when she came back down to Miami and shortly after she came back she had me so i grew up kind of seeing that human rights work um as well as living within a creative home because my mom you know has that that capacity as as a professional in the human rights nonprofit world Uh, you know, and then also she's always been a creative, you know, Uh, music and and just the way that she expresses herself. So my home was very unique in that sense growing up. Um, And she imparted all of that into into me and my persona, you know. So I grew up, yeah, exactly. And I took music lessons young uh, in the sense of like when I, I think I was 11 years old. Uh, when I started taking uh, piano and then I focused on classical voice, I went to the Dural Academy. And I will say to this day that charter school completely, you know, changed my life around. Uh, I would have, you know, gone to Coral Park. That was my home school, just like Pitbull in the 305. But, um, you know, Coral Park at the time wasn't that convenient. Uh, you know the most conducive learning environment and I was very you know rambunctious I guess you could say to a certain degree uh, in eighth grade and ninth grade when I decided to go to Doral and so Doral I got involved in the, in the music school, the performing performing arts school, I was president of the choir department, I was president of the music honor society um, I really it, Developed a very close relationship with my music director, which I'm still working with to today. Dr. Giannis. he's wonderful, amazing being, very talented individual, and um, and that's it's always kind of been like that for me. Is that balance of the arts, but also having having this value for education, you know, um, and so yeah. That, that's kind of been it. And then I went to FSU. I also did music as well as international relations at FSU. I graduated early. And I've just been working independently. You know, I had the option, like a lot of people that study international relations in college, to sign up, contact for the government and go straight to that. But something in my heart was, like, you really have to give yourself the opportunity, Kiel, to be an independent person now while you're young and 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 push yourself creatively to see what comes out of this and and give yourself that option and that opportunity because once you kind of tie yourself down to certain things and and you make certain contracts it it that then that's where it stays, you know, the decision is made. Um so I gave myself that opportunity and, and here we are. However I think I graduated early at the twenty um, beginning of twenty nineteen, and I've just been working independently ever since.
2: It's so it's it's so, it's so wild, and eh? sometimes you feel a connection with somebody. It's like an energy thing. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of art. I'm a fan of things that don't take our culture in Miami for granted, our culture in the three hundred five for granted, our culture in as. Cubans or as, and then in a broader sense as Hispanics and Latinos, like, was like and then America and the world. I love people that don't take things for granted. That obviously attracted me to what you were doing and the incredible creativity and professionalism of your work. It's not a half-stepping type of thing. It is like you're telling me that this isn't like the latest Tommy Matola protege that's signed to some big label. No, it's just somebody making these things on their own, which is mind-blowing when you look at your videos music but i had the same experience you know my mom came the same story they were with them and they found out what was going on my uncle was disappeared and all these you know stories in cuba and then um mm-hmm. she was also very creative very free spirit i'm looking right here at her book of, of, she didn't write it but her copy of like a brief history of existentialism and she lived in in the village of new york for seven years Oh, art. wow. Yeah, and art and music were very important in my house. My mom wasn't a musician, but she was a poet, and she'd take me to see all these movies that I had no business seeing at my age. <laughs> <laughs> but it does feed into a kid. So much of what we're exposed to, what we're told, not by telling, but by examples. Oh, this is important. And then you Absolutely. wind up following that example because it's what you saw. You were told this is kind of important. Um, Absolutely. And sometimes yeah. I think, well, was that a mistake? You know what I mean. Uh, this is the strange thing to. Obviously, I'm thirty-five, probably years older than you, but but this the the lessons are the same. You're growing up, and you're told this has value, so you go and try to celebrate that value. Mm-hmm. But the sophistication with which you've done it is really daunting. Um. When did you decide you wanted to make your own music and come up with this kind of character? Is it Madame Key? That's
1: Madame Key, yeah, Madame Key. It was like Madame, not Madame, but yeah, it was Madame. It's because I'm I'm changing my artist name to my name. Um, I, d- I stepped away from Adam Key. That's been in this, I would say, last year. We but it is through.
2: really dope. Like, when you see some of these videos, like, like this full, the production value, it looks like a Ken Russell film.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I mean,
2: you. It, it, it doesn't look like a video somebody's making here in Miami.
1: Yeah, I the foho in particular was uh 5k of my own money, and mind you, 5k again for like that kind of like production quality is nothing, you know. Uh, people blow hundreds of thousands of dollars for something that doesn't have that level of production quality, but they're also not, you know, they're not putting the time into it, they just, you know, they just want to create a product, they have the funding, and they just like throw things against a wall and see what music video comes out. Um, but again, having a small budget requires you to be a lot more intentional with everything that you do and a lot more organized. So like, for instance, this bowl hole took a lot of planning and a lot of time and a lot of resources to get to that point. A lot of wonderful, talented people putting in, you know, hours of, of work. I had a line producer that was like a good friend of mine, Tracy Peterson, that was like making sure. Everything was working accordingly, you know, DP and grip. We were filming in a forest that didn't have bathrooms. I had to, you know, get the generators, order, order everything ahead of time. We have very elaborate wardrobe that we had to make a tent in the middle of the forest there, like barely. And it was raining, mind you, the tent barely held for us to have our wardrobe changes and set it up. I had specific wardrobe people plus an assistant just to help with the outfits, make maintaining them, and the hair and the wigs and the makeup. You know, I had a separate makeup artist, um, and I produced it all myself. I directed, I wrote the whole thing myself, and obviously, I'm the artist, so I sang it. And I and the beat was produced by a friend of mine, not my brother, by another friend of mine who's um, extremely talented. He's a, a Brazilian producer. Uh, he's doing wonderful things. So. Um, What's yeah, know. uh, let me in a minute. I haven't talked to him in a while. Thomas, Thomas, there you go. Sorry, I was trying to get into my head. Um, yeah, no, yeah, his name's Thomas. Let me see what his, his see, official producer, producer uh, name is, but his name's I'm but his go name's go. Thomas Caprara. He's fabulous, honestly. He he's the one that gave the pojo that um. The because the beat is a Brazilian beat. It's not Latin or what we'll say like, you know, Hispanic necessarily. It's um uh what uh what's the genre I am what sorry led
2: you To to that song. Yeah. What's the what's the thing behind that song?
1: Oh, um so the fojo in particular was about well, the word the fojo means cleansing, right? In in Yoruba again, Santeria, uh, Afro-Cuban, and I and I notice I tend to make a lot of references. Uh, not a lot, but I that spiritual element of, of Santeria. Um, again, I use I use it more culturally, uh, and so you see it the most I think in the because, uh, you know you have that big bath scene where you see that we're throwing the you know the the agua florida into the, the pool uh, to, to give this image of the cleansing at the very end of the video. But uh, the overall concept was this idea of the lead protagonist character, say a woman, despojándose, cleansing herself of el mal de ojo that's around her. When we say mal de ojo, we're saying negative energy that will typically come maybe from envy, Right. So, uh, wherever that that comes in envy or just not, you know, wanting something, not wanting that person to do well for whatever reason, that's what we call mal de ojo. So, that's why you see everybody's in like these this regal attire, but once you start watching the video and you listen to what I'm saying with the lyrics, you realize that in the video, my character is narrating the problems that are unfolding in the court that is around her so you start seeing people within the court it's supposed to be almost like a king's court right in a way but it's like a rococo king's court and things just look extravagant and amazing and that it's supposed to be this like perfect regal thing and like you know you've worked so hard to get to this high point in your life and then you're looking around you and you're looking and and you're seeing the cracks in what's happening. You're, you're seeing the, the conflict. And so within the music video, the conflict is a lot of times between the male side of the Kingsa court versus the female side of the Kingsa court, just for the sake in the video of making it, like, more more clear, like, who who's versus who, right? And so at the beginning, the girls... Uh, some of the girls are you know being kind of put to sit down or don't speak or I you know there's like a moment of jealousy between the male and the female roles and so then at the end the women or some of the women go and they do like you know a spell which we had to invest in after effects and it was great and they like you know almost sew the men's mouth together, which is also a very Rococo kind of reference. I studied a lot of things from that area, Rococo, to like bring back into the video. And that's like the end, you know, it's like the the characters that were being oppressed or were suffering from the mal de ojo at the beginning of the video. By the end, they they set themselves free. They overcome it, right? Character arc. There's like, there's three phases to the video as well like you can see there's an epilogue there's there's a whole story arc in it so you know I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed writing out the script and, and getting the details of it just uh, everything I had I had a blast
2: I mean, it's phenomenal. Now, did you did you come up with the song at the same time you came up with the video, or did you? Did you
1: no, the song was made first. The song was made first, uh, and then the video was made. It was uh, like I told you, an extensive process because, like, at the at the beginning, I was even think I was thinking of having that whole court and rococo scene happened indoors like i wanted it to be indoors or it really looked like it was like a palace or something i was like you don't have the budget for that that's not that's not gonna happen (laughs) so like the initial concept was very grand and i had to scale back and like re like how am i gonna make this feasible okay i want to have a de fojo scene but i can't rent out this crazy pool or make one in a studio or whatever so i literally got a jacuzzi of a friend's backyard and dressed it up with all these things that i ordered on amazon bought all of like the clothes of the women of the girls the gowns from goodwill like a lot of resourcefulness went into bringing the project to fruition
2: it's, because, it's banana. Yeah. you see something like that and you say well this was just done I can get for nothing, and people are like, "I'm gonna rent a red camera. We're raising money to come." set yeah. and you're like, "Bro, relax." Look Bro. What you're doing. Mm-hmm. Do, do you? When these ideas come to you right? Mm-hmm. How do they come? Like, you're minding your own business, which I I don't see you as a person that has a lot of downtime. <laughs> but how does the idea, you know what? I'm ready to make a new song and it's going to be the whole whole or, or it's going to be, you know, what's your stage, whatever it is. How does yeah. that come to you?
1: My process. Sorry about that. Yeah. My process. Let me fix that. Overall is, you know, it's different depending on where the initial inspiration comes from. Right. I'm somebody that I'm very visual. I have always kind of an imagery that will pop into my head whenever I hear a certain song or a certain rhythm. So typically, once I start producing the song, the images of the video already come to my head. Like I said, everything that I I haven't, like things are intentional, right? When you have limited resources, but in general, me as a person, as an artist, most of my work I like to make intentional, you know, like some people like to make songs just because they might like really feel the rhythm. And I'm not saying I haven't made things like that before. There haven't been things that are just like, oh, you know, it it just feels good when you say it. So you say it. I've had some of those moments, but typically my final products, even if certain parts of the song were developed because I just really like how it feels or it sounds, I always like to have like a final message with whatever piece I make. you know, I, I always like to have a, a, something that I, I want to say with it. It's not just that I'm making it for the sake of, of making it or, or for, to make it danceable or whatever. It's because I want to, I want to say something with the piece. So, you know, like that's, that's always what I go for with the full whole, It's about, you know, showing how you're overcoming envy or you're overcoming negative energy around you other people's negative energy um always having that kind of empowerment I guess that I guess you see that with what's your stage and afiladora too it's kind of like you know normal normal people that are in these surreal environments but the person feels kind of familiar and they're typically overcoming something or they're uh, yeah, they are growing to be this next phase, you know.
2: Manaswete has that because you wake up and you're somebody. You're in the, mm-hmm. you're in, a, and then you're off to the ball and you're, you know, and it ends with that powerful shot of you in front of the Freedom Tower, which I was interpreting. I'll share with you my interpretation of that video later.
1: Oh, that, I love
2: that. That you know, um, but it's true. And what's your stage? What you thought about? Uh, I love that. She's like a home girl. Around the way, girl, she's hanging out at our bed, or she's in Westchester. What kind of dog is that in the video? Is that a pit? <laughs> it's a pit. yeah. She's
1: and the best. And so,
2: you, got the, you know, you're hanging out, and you the the and then the next thing you know, it's, it's it, you know, you're at the youth fair. I mean, it's got a lot of, a lot of vibe. And, and yeah. it's like a little bit, yeah, it, I see your point.
1: Mm-hmm. It's always that. It's always like, I think, not always, right? We're going to make different songs in different ways. But I have noticed a trend where I want, with my music and my art, I want to make normal people feel like they're not normal, like they're exceptional. Like a normal person can be exceptional. Oh, and... You said that that comes through. It's the normal thing. People always trying to ask me what it's I want so... to be when I grow up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but celebrated you're but saying, celebrated you're saying celebrate
2: this. i'm sorry i mean i get excited for that
1: <laughs> of course of course so yeah you know I, I really enjoy that about the final product of whatever i need at the end of the day and it's not always you know like we are talking about all And I've also helped other people, for instance, like I've had people hire me a couple times to help in producing their videos, but they, but they don't want to have the same kind of intention that I do when I approach my own pieces. It's a lot more like, you know, just put, you know, these one or two locations together, get some dancers in there, some nice lighting, bottles maybe whatever you know and like I just want to show up like the artist this is from the artist perspective I just want to show up whenever I wake up or whenever I'm just gonna show up and I'm just gonna like vibe in whatever location you put me in and like that's gonna be the music video you know and um I mean for those artists that wanted it to be that way like we've made it happen that that way but to say that the artist is involved really in the creative process, I mean, it's not the same. And when the artist is involved to that degree, it's not, it's, it's, it's obviously more work on the artist. So yeah, like it's, it hasn't been easy when you take on that much responsibility within the creative process. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Because I feel super proud of those videos when I see them at the end of the day. And I see all the intention, I see all the Easter eggs, the messages, you know, all the ways I could connect with my audience. And it's cathartic for me as well at the end of the day because, I mean, I personally feel like, yeah, I just have things that I want to say with my work. So that's why I'm more involved. uh, from, like, we are no the so they don't and even care, like, Yeah, you own show own up and whatever the like, they're like, like, gonna do it, too. like, like it that's, like, the most thing, you know, more like the money like, behind, and it. it. not yeah, it. it's beautiful, it. but it's you can learn ways to do things with like very minimal budget. I like, I'm I'm that You know, like me, yeah, I for to go to that way, fair, but it's not like I closed the and you know only got on for one thing and to remaster it. like I went to the fair when there was a bunch of other people and me. Thank God, I have I have that benefit very bigger artist, you have no choice, but to, you know, spend more money for security or whatever, whatever, but, yeah, like, luckily I'm still at a point where I can do things in a much more, you know, crafty, resourceful way and still get a really cool shot, as opposed to having to do things, you know, more closed off formal that's way more costly you know typically in like a standard production setting right
2: so so let me ask you uh, quick um, you said I, I like to take the I like to make ordinary people feel extraordinary or like what they're doing is extraordinary did, did, am I quoting you correct
1: yes absolutely
2: and that's one of the most touching things why is that an important thing for your art to do?
1: Um, I'd say because of, to be completely like genuine and just real because I feel like it, uh, as an audience member, that's what I want artists to do for me. You know, I, I, as a kid, like I think of like the smaller version of myself, you know, I was not somebody born with a silver spoon and I know there's a lot of people like that, but more particularly, I think I, you know, I never really felt like I was like the cool kid or like people knew me, but I didn't feel like, you no, know, I just, sometimes I felt like I was being put in um in a bigger pool, you know, like I was just going to be a statistic uh, in a way. Um, but I think the uniqueness of, of my home to a certain degree and, The creative influences I had pushed me to be like, you're not going to be a statistic. You know, you have, you have your own unique, special quality that you are more than capable and you should share with the world. And I think everybody, in spite of wherever they come from, has that opportunity. You know, our creator, and I I do believe in God, you know, um, gave us free will
2: Absolutely.
1: Excuse me. Yeah, our creator gave us free will. And with that free will, any person from anywhere that you end up on the spectrum, because we don't have a choice of where we're born, right? Um, so the, any individual, despite of where they come from, can, can be that exception, can be extraordinary, regardless of, of where your starting point was. And I want my music to make people feel that way. When life, when they feel like life's against them or they feel like people are against them or even if they feel like their own mind within themselves is is, is putting a block, any of that, we have the capability to overcome those things regardless of, of anything, you know? So that's what I want people to feel when they when they see my music or a particular song.
2: That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. You, you definitely have that, you know, Things are extraordinary. Uh, they, things are the, the ordinary made extraordinary vibe, and that last music video. Then I want to talk a little bit about your acting and production and things like that. Um, that last one, it seemed like it was a little bit of an answer to people that say, "Hey, you got to pick a lane. You can't be an activist and then also, um, you know, make you know, expect to get ahead in the music business," because. Some of the things, even though they're actually very progressive issues, dealing with free speech, freedom of expression, and so forth, it's not, it's not framed that way generally. And so sometimes people get pushback because of the, the things that they're interested in. Um, and I felt like that last video, sweaty or Mala suerte, was a little bit of a comment on that, like, bro, I'm here, I'm still in it. And then with that, that last shot of the Freedom Tower, I thought that was... I thought that's what that was about. That's my interpretation as a fan.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, like, I didn't mean to make it so direct in the sense of, like, uh, specifically referring to the to the Cuba element, but in, well, yeah, because it is the Freedom Tower, so, like, culturally, but not speaking to the the community of, of maybe people within the the activist world that don't understand my artistic element, but it was more just, like, I'm free in general, you know, like, I am I am a Cuban American that was born here for the reason of embracing freedom. So when you see that tower and you see me in it, it's just it's supposed to be the symbol of liberation, pretty much, and of like this is who I am integrally. So you were never gonna be able to put me in a box in the first place. Because look at the city around me, look at everything around me. Look at who I am, that I wake up one in one way and I go into my closet and I come out and I come out another way. All of that are aspects of me. And and this city that you see is an aspect of me. And all of that represents freedom, represents liberation, represents not being able to be put in a box, you know, and and having a good time along that whole process. So, (laughs) yeah, you know, I. I.
2: That's success, that's living. That's really living like a a life that's full because you're doing what you need to do in every aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed that video as well. And um, that also was made, you know, I didn't rent out that location. That was a family friend's location. So the the same kind of idea. Uh, You can get good quality with with low resources if you are very intentional and and you have a, a clear vision. So, yeah, it's great.
2: It's really, really something to see you on screen because I've met you in real life. You're a very nice, cool person. And, you know, obviously very physically imposing. You're very tall and very beautiful and you're very, you know, striking. But that doesn't mean anything when you put the camera on. There's people that are nothing in real life and you turn the camera on and they're superstars. There's people that are incredibly awesome in real life and magnetic and you put the camera on and bam, it's nothing. The camera is like a magic thing. And you really come across. When you're doing, when you're rapping, when you're talking to the camera, when you're singing, when you're looking into the lens, you're speaking directly to the public. It really comes across. I mean, you're a real... Artist, You can see that, like, wow, this person could really go the distance, do the thing. It's a very difficult thing to do as the media landscape becomes more and more fractured, as people's attention spans get more and more, whatever, but do you have that thing? Oh, my God. Yeah, in spades. Thank you. So it's very clear to anybody that watches these things. So do you also... You also act.
1: Yes. And yes. So I
2: want to talk to you about some of the films that you've acted in, and then I know that you've produced as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We're involved with Los Plantados, Las Plantadas. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I would love to. I would actually love to bring a Plantadas. Uh, we're going to have another screening now, August 31st, uh, at the Artime Theater. Um, no, September eighth is the Artima Theater, and August thirty first is a Big Five Club here locally in Westchester. But yeah, we're gonna have that screening, and the project was very cathartic. It was uh, very emotionally taxing, but don't, rewarding.
2: Don't you know, if they don't know what what it what it is,
1: yeah, of course. Excuse me, let's backtrack. So. Um, pretty much plantadas, the term plantadas is for a specific kind of Cuban female, um, prisoner of conscience, conscience, excuse me. So essentially it's somebody, uh, and it's focusing on women plantadas. So it's a female, um, driven. And these women in particular were arrested for, um, thinking differently than the regime that's currently still in place and specifically denying re-education inside of the prison as well as any other concessions that are offered to them to shorten their prison time. This is something very common in um, communist totalitarian societies that if you are ideologically divergent, that is the term, uh, you are put in prison and if you refuse to be re-educated or refuse to do forced labor because you don't consider yourself a criminal, um, you will be forced to serve your full-time. And you'll know, typically, full-time meaning 20 to 30 years, and um, on average, uh, and you go through several forms of psychological and physical torture. Um, so all these types of scenes are depicted into film. Uh, I played a plantada. I was not a lead character. I have, you know, I'm Cuban American at the end of the day. And so my accent made it a little difficult for me to, to shoot for that. Um, but I have gotten a lot better, which is great and very rewarding. Uh, Mm -hmm. but I was a plantada. Uh, and you know, we shot for three days, and a galera a galera is you know uh, a prison cell like like just how they are in cuba they they replicated it to look exactly the same and they're just like three metal bunkers uh like barracks on either side and uh cement everything and just like there's no there's no toilet or anything like that um and so it was very great replica. And I essentially had to be shooting in that space, not getting out of that space for those three days, like full 12 hour shooting days. Um, and the scenes are obviously very intense. You know, like at one point I played a character that uh, was menstruating and uh, you know, I'm 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 there, I'm, I'm like going through the process, I'm in pain. And I asked the prison guard or help, or any kind, anything, you know, to help me with the situation, and uh, she just kind of, like, laughs at me, and, like, mocks me, and then just, like, walks away, you know, and um, there were a, a different, there was a lot of different moments like that, and I know it might seem, for especially for people who aren't Cuban, it might seem, people who, aren't, who are not Cuban, it might seem maybe far-fetched, or um, a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, we interviewed thirty-five female prisoners of conscience before we the, the script was written, and all the stories are stories that they shared with us that we that we put into this this fictional narrative. So it was very impactful. It was had wonderful reviews. Um, it was debuted in the last Miami Film Festival. Uh, so and, and it's still going. It's been shown in Puerto Rico. It's been shown in Tampa. It's been shown in New Jersey, Las Vegas. And you've um, got
2: showings like at festivals, but you guys are booking it locally too. I know it was, it was booked at the... Um, the uh, uh, what's that mall that it was playing at? Like Dolphin Mall. Dolphin Mall. How many months did it play there?
1: Oh, like two months. Just and straight.
2: That, did they actually... Before, uh, did you guys rent the, the theater did they, did they actually put it up but i know it, to keep a movie in a theater for, for for a couple months i mean that's that's telling you how that's some ticket sales that means people it, were trying to see it mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. no it just kept going like it honestly kept going and i was involved from the beginning of the process like i wasn't i wasn't just an actress i was also um you know i'd say like a, an assistant producer of sorts in the sense of uh helping with the fundraising. You know, like, um, the, I would say the lowest level of, of production in that sense of, like, I wasn't involved on set, obviously, because on set I was acting, uh, but I helped in the fundraising process with the commission that was fundraising to help support the project at the beginning. And just like my music videos, I could say that this project started as a community effort. You know, Cubans like to say, al pulmon, you know, um, and it like, was definitely... It Al pulmón, you know, like. Claro. Exactly. So it was very grassroots oriented, uh, having, you know, uh, setting up a lot of events for fundraising for this film. And uh, I feel so blessed that it was so well received by the community after the fact, you know, because sometimes with this human activism, you know, and I know that you can resonate with this too. You know, we have our July 11th moments, you know, where everybody comes out and the whole community and it's like, whoa, we're out here, you know. And then there's other times that you put a lot of work and effort into events or, you know, uh, uh, some kind of initiative and uh, people aren't as involved. You know, people are caught up in their own worlds. People, it's too, you know, emotionally, emotionally overwhelming. So people avoid it. Uh, all those all those things come into play, but no plantadas. People want to know the truth at this point. Like our community, for the most part, wants to be educated, especially on the political prisoner topic. Because after July 11th, we had over a thousand political prisoners in Cuba. Artists, a lot of artists that we all really, you know, uh, look up to amongst other people. So obviously, the film had an impact because yeah it was in dolphin mall not because they were paying for it because there was a demand and they they stayed there and then it, it moved to these other movie theaters in these other states it wasn't like they were little screenings in these other states like other official movie theaters in in puerto rico um and i i believe in new jersey we're showing the film just the same way Dolphin was, you know. So there is a demand because people people want to know the truth at this point, you know. Sixty four years in, people are people are waking up. So I think after that, honestly, and
2: it's so hard to distribute a movie independently because you're fighting for screens versus mm-hmm. giant juggernaut movies that that they have a certain number of screens that they have to show on for the, studio. so the studios. The studio is selling the theater no, no, I need Barbie on five screens. Oh. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, but I only need Barbie on four screens because I'm killing it with Lantaz over here. I'm not okay. saying Barbie, but as an example. I get
1: you, I and get you.
2: And so it's hard. So the, the movie theater really has to be able to justify that. So that's big numbers. That tells you that people are interested in other stories than the traditional Hollywood narratives about this subject, you know?
1: No, absolutely. I think that's true. And I mean... I could say that we could say that, you know, let's talk about Angel Studios. I mean, we don't have to get too deep, but let's just say that there is, you know, there is a desire for content outside of the Hollywood box. And um, I think that creators, independent creators like myself, and a lot of people here locally in Miami, uh, as well as, you know, just globally are are seeing that. And are gaining the courage to go out on their own and create this content in spite of the risks. Again, like you said, it's very difficult for independent filmmakers to get that kind of screen time and be able to, you know, have a good. I don't. I don't know if ROI is the right term for film, oh, but it is. It is. for yeah. sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's very difficult to get a a, a high ROI as an independent filmmaker, especially with the content that we're putting out there, but people want to see it. People, people want to see it.
2: it. When we did our film, the one that I directed back in, before you were born, in 2000, the year
1: 2000, <laughs> we it, I love we
2: that. they booked at the tower theater in Little Havana, and we were the number one movie per screen um, wow. in Miami. We were only on one screen, but I think we were making eight, five a week, and Mission Impossible 2, I think, was making like 8 1, 8001. And we were like, yo, we're the number one movie. And I remember saying to the guys that ran the tower at the time, to put it in variety. No, nosotros no, variety. And I'm like, oh my god.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: You know, but uh, it was another era. And and it was proof that people are are interested and want to see their stories reflected. And did you have anything to do with Plantados One?
1: no I did not have anything to do with Plantados 1 I was not connected with him at that time I mean I, I obviously connected with the organization uh, that's something separate but in terms of the film no Um. So, but yeah
2: so, so Kia, when you when you're making these you know and I'm sure people tell you like oh, you know it's not just hey I'm an actress in this film um, it's not just um. Your songs, but I know you did recently a very political song. Uh, mm-hmm. the, I don't know if you want to talk about
1: it. Yeah, I mean, first off, it's one of the most successful songs promotion wise, in terms of like, so I would definitely love to talk about it. Um, to this point, I released it with Funky, El, el Funky, which el is a two time. Yeah, let me not get into Spanish right now. I was about to start. I was like, it's difficult because Michael physically wasn't there in the, in the process. But to give everyone the audience a gist, I released this song uh, with two artists that are both two time Latin Grammy Award winners. Um, one of them was recently exiled from Cuba. The song that they won the Grammy for also got them to be the number one targets for the Castro regime. So one of the artists was put in jail for, hmm, I believe either eight or 14 years. I I think it's 14. And uh, that's Michael Osorbo. And El Funky was permanently exiled here to Miami as of last year. So, um, you know, funky, we started talking, we became friends. I've, I've, I've given him support the way that, you know, we always do in this community when a new wave of, of exiles come. And we started collaborating on music. He had shown me this recording that him and Michael did, which is the start of the song. And they recorded it two years ago, right before July 11th happened. And shortly after they recorded that song, the whole music video was shut down, confiscated, raided by the regime. So, but they were able to salvage this recording. And the words were so powerful and so moving, and I felt like really applied to what really applied to what the Cuban people are living right now. So I, um, you know, I wanted to bring this out to the world and funking coming here. And still trying to get acclimated, you know, it was a difficult process for him at the beginning to, to, to concentrate at all on on his career to a certain degree, because it's, it's it was very shocking. Everything was very shocking and very new, you know, Cuba no way gives, you know, normal people from the neighborhoods that we come from in Cuba, the capacity to adjust comfortably to to a developed society you know so it took him time and i really wanted to i was like no we can't we can't just let this project sit like this has to come out for the second anniversary of july 11th we tried getting a, a few other artists on it didn't work out so we moved forward and the final product of the song when it was just me him and and Mikey's part uh, I think is better than any other version we had with any other artists, honestly. And then came the time for the music video, right? And so I had an aunt of mine die very recently to when we were trying to plan the video out. And we had buried her in a, a cemetery where a lot of very notable Cuban exiles were also buried. Jorge Mastanota, some people might know him, some people might not, was buried there. Uh, The Bacardi family is buried there. Um, A lot of um, important activists are buried there. And it's a very beautiful cemetery in itself. Um, And I felt like it just had a lot of symbolism for what we were trying to say in the song. So one of our main locations was there in that cemetery. Oh, also my great grandparents are I have like four. Your
2: the history of political activism goes back to your great grandparents.
1: Yes, it does. My great grandparents are Mambises, uh, which um is the term for I guess you could say like the founding fathers in a way, if you want to compare it to American history, uh, the people that freed Cuba from the Spanish. And so they were, you know, again, they say criollos. Criollos are people of mixed mixed race Spanish with local indigenous or black, and then freed black slaves that comprised los Mambises. So my great-grandfather was a Mambis, um, great and, um, or well, his father, my great-great-grandfather at this point. So, but yeah, they're buried there. And we put all of that into the video, you know, our history, these important um, individuals and figures that were there. And then we also filmed in La Casa de Los Preso which is a historic place for our community as well. We had an actress, a young girl, that was to symbolize, um, at one point, the daughter of Michael, who he's separated from, uh, indefinitely, you know, and also kind of like the future generations of of Cuba, uh, and our and and who we are. So this little girl is going through the cemetery and Casalopreso, and she's holding a flower. To symbolize rebirth to symbolize you know hope uh for the future and it was very beautiful it wasn't that difficult to produce especially compared to you know things like the or things like afiladora you know it was not uh it was i was definitely prepared for it i had just one dp he was a very talented dp he shot patria y vida inside of cuba angelo troya um and, you know, a PA that was great as well. And and we kind of just, like, rolled with it. And so we released it on July 11th with a music video. And we got fabulous, fabulous reviews. We were on Univision. We were on Telemundo. Uh, La Poderosa show. Uh, a lot of influencers, podcasts. You it's know.
2: A, it was really powerful. Really powerful, you know. And I can only imagine, you know. What did Funky's feeling, you know, when he's being here and estranged from his right. family? And it's, it's and, and, and Michael, it's just terrible when you think about it. And yeah, you, you don't stop. And I, I know when you did La Plantas when the movie came out, you also did a, a song, another another video it was
1: Hannah
2: yes, uh, Olema and a uh, Spanglish Generation and you, right? And you guys yes. and, and then uh, Karen and I don't know how to say her name.
1: Karen Kemenway.
2: Um, you guys did a, it was four, four women rapping about La, La Planta, right? And what oh, the story yeah. was. And that video is so powerful.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Grew up. And I found it so touching. Of course, it moved me to tears. I think if anybody watches it, you're going to get moved. Because you see these people, and whether it's Fangio's generation or yourself, they don't have, to, you don't have to be doing it. You could just be quiet and yep. go on with your career And don't say a word and nobody's gonna solve that. It's not that you have to
1: you
2: don't have to you don't have to defend the regime. You don't uh but just don't spend your time criticizing it, it's not gonna help you. But you can Mm -hmm. tell that you guys just can't stay
1: quiet. Yeah, no. I think it's I think it's something that you kinda have to let out, you know, when you when you feel like you're kind of up against a wall, and uh, yeah, people could say, "Oh well, you know you're here, you're in miami you're you're free already, like why are you even worried about this? Like why are you concerned about this? why this doesn't affect you?" And it's like no i'm i I am sorry, I think that it does still have an effect on us, obviously not as direct as somebody that is living it you know in carne propia ahí adentro de la isla specific political prisoner per se. But first off, that ideology and that way of being isn't only in Cuba. And secondly, our family is still in Cuba. And thirdly, we can't go back to Cuba. We can't heal those wounds that were created by these people because the solution, which is that they're not there anymore, hasn't, hasn't come up. We haven't gotten to the end the story is still continuing people think that when you come here to miami oh it's done it's over no the story is still continuing ha- th- those people haven't gone away mm-hmm. and they and they con- and they are continuing their journey because they don't they don't solely operate within cuba you know their their goal is to eventually create this global system that reflects their totalitarian autocratic system, and and we we won't stand for it because we're free, open people that can't live under a system like that. Does that make sense? It's, so that's why it's still important to us, so important.
2: It's really admirable. It's such a punk rock thing to do when you look at the video that you, got, that you all did, La Planta, you know, it was, it's so moving because there's just no wind to it other than to say, hey, I spoke up for people that don't have a voice. But I, that's usually very popular. But I'm doing so in a very hostile situation um, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. people that should be progressive and should be crying out for women's rights and human rights and everybody. They're like, not saying a word. And you are, and you even have, you know, Betta Soler has been uh, living in Cuba and been a bit of dissident for so long and, and you have footage of her getting arrested and um mm-hmm. I close like state security people you know in in January of 2022 you've got at that so you close the video very powerfully and you realize that man we have the right here to say man I I, I don't like Trump or I don't like Biden or I don't like you know whoever you can't you can't do that in Cuba people don't know these just basic things they don't know like how oppressive it is no, and, and you are all there kind of you know doing your best to to educate hearts and minds it's very admirable especially when you know that there's a humongous downside especially if you're trying to be an artist like yourself that's in the american market
1: absolutely absolutely like there is definitely it could be i mean it's not something that sells for the most part you know patria y vida was obviously an anomaly to the industry like far beyond the norm, but, um, you know, to say that there isn't a pro beyond just, you know, expressing my, my feelings or expressing my concerns, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the case either because something that my mom taught me and a lot of the people that come from Cuba have shown me over time is that they really they really cling on to the idea that there are people on the outside that care about them. Because when they're inside the island, the regime closes them off, isolates them, and convinces them that they're irrelevant and that how they feel is irrelevant, that what they're going through is irrelevant. But the reality is, is that there's a whole community of people on the outside that have gone through the pain and the dehumanization that those people are going through And we care and we don't forget and we're being that voice for them because their voice was taken away. So it's not that I'm here just talking about, you know, just saying something that bothers me and I'm letting it out. It's that I I am actually doing the things that people can't necessarily do for themselves. And I'm still I'm making sure that what they need to get done is happening for them whether they know that or not. Because when you go and you speak and you say the truth and you reveal the truth and you spread the truth, it does have an impact. It does, 100%. And it does make a difference for them. That sometimes, that's that's the only thing they care about is when they, they get the news that, oh my God, Mira, they made a song about what you're going through. That person is is going to be so strong and now that person's going to multiply. That person's going to, continue their work and 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 it's going to continue to help other people feel empowered and feel that they too you know can continue to stay strong and resist and and fight for their humanity because when you're going up against a totalitarian system like that you're not fighting for yourself you're not fighting for your own individual freedom you are but in general you're fighting for every. you're fighting for the whole thing you're fighting for humanity because if we take away our free will, we take away our humanity. So we have to we have to do this. You know, I think there's a much bigger thing, of reward in that sense when you look at it from that perspective. You know, and uh, yeah.
2: No, oh, that's really interesting, and, and it's very beautiful. Have you ever? You know, I know you've been on talk shows, and you've you know, I know you. Yeah, I don't know if it's okay to mention, but you've done. Protests that have been nationally televised, you know, at baseball games and so forth. And, um, you know, people have you know, that involves law enforcement getting involved and like, hey, let's get her off the field. But you really want to make a statement. And I, I find it very admirable. And, and That sort of social disruption, which is key mm-hmm. if you want to get people's attention. Do you feel like you've ever met somebody that's like, hey, you really opened my mind about that? I didn't have the right perspective on it, or I didn't understand this other point of view, and you helped me understand it. Have you ever had that happen?
1: Um, I've never had people tell me directly. I've had people tell other people around me. Um, for instance, like you know, with my mom, one of the one of the Cuban artists that I started working with when I first started working with them i think were very hurt and very were very hurt by what the regime had done to them and they were very like kind of closed off and they weren't able to overcome the pain that they were going through and they were projecting that in their surroundings and then after they after we started working together and they learned about you know how i am in my life as a cuban american and that i can still you know, be a, you know, a kind, open person where I can develop relationships with people and, and, and be positive in spite of what's going on. And once they saw that, they're like, okay, I'm not, thank you. Like they went to my mom and they were like, thank you. Cause after all this time, like, I feel like I can let go of that anger and I can, you know, interact with people and, and me myself within myself live a healthier life because, you know, a lot of times people, even people, when they come out of that island, their defenses are up. All their guards are up. Like, they do not have a very difficult time having healthy relationships in general with themselves or with other people. And so when you do see people that understand that pain or have themselves experienced that pain and are still able to, to have healthy dynamics in life... Um, they see that, and then they try to like follow suit. So she, that person is doing a lot better from when you know I first saw them coming from Cuba. And another example, which I think is even more beautiful for me, was um, in the second go around of the Cuban baseball team coming to the United States to try to you know have a game and normalize relations. I had another, like a, like a independent Cuban reporter artist, come up to me and ask me some questions before the start of the game. Like, you know, are you gonna, are you gonna do the same kind of civil protest? Every day's that you a different set of questions. then else is going on, so stop the fussing, touching on the buttons. Right? Wonder why I'm cussing, wonder around, why I'm puffing, wonder why I'm running from and you. I remember how I do that. my own. You know, I don't know if I am or if I'm not gonna do that act, but what I would hope for is that it would inspire people to take initiative for themselves. And if people like people saw what I'm doing, they should say, you know, instead of me hoping that she's gonna do it for me, why don't I do it for myself and for my own community? Why am I gonna wait on somebody else to be my savior when I can I can be that for me? And that's what I explained in in the interview when I talked with him, he recorded me, he took that information, he walked away, it was great, fine. And then the time came, the game started, you know, I, I had a special security following me trying to, you know, get me to say who I was and I wasn't going to say who I was. And then at the end they were like, okay, Kiel." You know, to try to intimidate me, you know, to and be like, oh, we know baseball. you.
2: And that's Major League Baseball, the Marlins.
1: Yeah, that was MLB for sure. Um, you know. Like we don't,
2: know, the World Baseball Classic.
1: Yeah, it was.
2: Because you had disrupted the, the, the Cuba-Venezuela game.
1: Exactly, exactly. I had initially disrupted the pre-Olympic game, you know, and MLB was aware of that and they took note of that first time. And so the second time around, they had special security trained with a whole folder with all of our pictures and our names of, you know, what would could be the main disruptors, quote unquote, I guess. Um, and... <laughs>
2: It was, yeah, it was,
1: it was very Seguridad al Estado. It was very state security-esque.
2: Yeah, was, I'm not going to lie. Not No, they're looking out for the bottom line, which is the, the, that's the flip side of capitalism. I love, you know, I'm proud to live in America and I love capitalism, but gosh, that's the other side of it where you say, hey, you can't screw up this game. We got tickets sold. We got sponsors. We, we understand about free speech and human rights, but no.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you can look at China. China has been the perfect model of, you know, combining the worst of capitalism with the worst of communism. <laughs>
2: That's very well but put. It's um,
1: true. It's
2: funny. <laughs> when they, the, after, and, I, and we kind of saw that. We were like watching the game a lot of, we were staying in the, me and a bunch of friends watched it at the, um, what's that hotel on Cuba's game where the Cuban players were staying?
1: Oh, why do I know what you're talking uh, about? On Cuba
2: It's Cuba Skane. It's like it used to be like near where the Senesta was. It's the, I want to say the Four Seasons or whatever the hell it is.
1: Okay. I yeah.
2: Look, I can look it up, you know. And um, we were watching it there and the Cuban players were staying there. Um, and my buddy who owns a beer company he was like, man, I'll give a lifetime of free beers to whoever defects or whatever, you know, we were watching, you know, obviously we were rooting for the USA we were rooting against the Cuban team. And I mean, maybe that's not obvious, but that's what we were doing. Um, sure. uh, and when it turned out that the guy defected the next morning and we were mm-hmm. seeing also the way people wanted to, to it's the Ritz Carlton. We watched it, the Ritz Carlton, where mm-hmm. they had okay. the Cuban players. And when we, of course the guy defected the next morning, which was a trip. But when we mm-hmm. were seeing people trying to protest, and not being allowed and so forth and then I guess um uh, maybe a month later or whatever the Marlins did some sort of Cuban promotion like we're gonna we're gonna honor and I'll say hey did you see that oh,
1: you yeah remember? they tried to save their butts because what was I the promotion? know that it was something about like it was just a cultural thing it was yeah, like I oh know, we're gonna make comments, this more
2: the comments on Facebook were amazing they were like really out it was funny and you know, I mean, understand. Happen. You know, it's a lot of big money. You know, they don't people give shit about. Them. But I, yeah. I, I'm always going to root for people that are trying to defend people's um, ability to publish freely, speak freely, and vote freely, and express themselves freely. You know, yeah. how can I not side with that?
1: Of course. And,
2: I understand there's a lot of. Money, but, but these freedoms, these are inalienable freedoms.
1: Unalienable rights uh, that yeah, exactly. on through like their. Rights,
2: which everybody signed and nobody followed.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know to, to top off the story so that reporter that interviewed me at that time, he ended up jumping in the stadium. Like, what I had told him had, a, had like, gotten into his brain so much that he was, like, one of the three people that jumped into the stadium that day. And I didn't jump in the second time because I was being watched and I just. The
2: reporter that, see, I messed up your story. That's such a powerful ending. I'm yes. sorry I even interrupted you.
1: It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. But I, I wanted to get to that point. So the, the reporter that asked you. Yes. Tell me, tell me.
2: No, the reporter that asked you an interview winds up, you lit a fire in that person.
1: Yup. Like, I don't, yeah. Like, I told him what I told him from the heart, how I felt genuinely. And I remembered I was there, like, when I saw him run. And they're like, look. And I was like, who was that? And when they showed me, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, like, obviously teared up a little bit. Like, because I was just like, I did not think it would have that impact and mind you like we're in the in the world but I never inter- I haven't interacted with him since that moment like it was just that that we like just connected and he felt the drive and like he's like I'm doing it you know and it, it was so touching and I and I don't doubt you know I mean the first time that I jumped in the stadium a month later, July 11th happened. I am definitely not the only reason why July 11th happened. That is not what I'm trying to say. But I feel that when I do overcome my fears, right? The, the, the plebeian block of you're not good enough or you're too average, right? Uh, and I overcome that, which is what I try to promote in my music and everything I do. Uh, beautiful results come out of that and I think that every human being has the capacity to influence in that same way if they allow themselves to if they push past those obstacles and those blockages I think we all have that gift it's about tapping into it so I just thank God that you know I've had those moments and uh, what I try to do on my day-to-day is aim to recreate recreate those moments you know Mm -hmm.
2: It's really powerful that 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 exposing people to truth is a transformative thing,
1: mhm. The truth will set you free, you know, and it's difficult, sometimes it's difficult, you know sometimes people don't not everybody wants to hear you what you the truth that you're trying to say in that moment, <laughs> and we also get that from the Cuba topic, you know, I've received negative feedback as well that's just like, oh my God, you guys, you know, like why are you being so decisive or, you know, why can't you just take it easy on this topic or whatever? And I'm like, that's why. And then I try to say, is like, there are certain things that you cannot compromise on as an individual. Yes. I'm an open person. Yeah. I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And I always want to give something an opportunity to show itself, but certain principles You have to be firm with, because we already understand that from our history, our joint history. People who made a certain decision to stay with communism had certain outcomes, certain realities that now they're dealing with 64 years down the line. And other individuals who are very firm with their position and very firm with where they stood, maybe suffered at the beginning because people were not ready to deal with that. But where are we now? Where are they now? You know, my grandmother who suffered a lot for making a decision, firm decisions at the beginning that were not necessarily the most popular, she now gets to live at 88 years old with refrigerator and air conditioning and whatever she wants. And, you know, she, she worked hard because she stayed firm to her principles and now she gets to reap the fruits of her labor. And other people other people in my family, that didn't stay clear with those principles suffered a lot even if in the moment the compromise was easy and it was an easier decision for them to make in the moment the the what they had to go through in the end was much more difficult so that's where I kind of stand with it you know I'll take the heat in the moment if I feel that where I'm standing is where I have to stand I don't mind it I don't mind taking the heat you know, and I think all human beings should be that way and have the courage to be that way. And it would make our world a much better place. Like when you feel that something is not right, even if everybody is telling you to do it, don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. You know, And like, that's OK. And we have a right to say no. And we have a right to say we don't want to do things or that, you know, or I want more information. You know, these are the things that people in Cuba do not have a concept of, of autonomy like that. Like that does not exist. You know, so I I try to bring that into everything that I do, man, you know, like be firm with who you are, how you feel, what you think, and don't be afraid of that and, and go towards that.
2: I can't think of a better way to close because that's kind of how you're living your life in, in so many ways. And I, I admire you. I respect you. I, um, you know, I, I, I try to be candid with you and say, I really respect what you're doing. And i you remind me of me in my twenties, but I wasn't quite as talented. I wasn't quite as as smart. I wasn't quite as. Um, uh, I try to be outspoken in my own way, but you're very, very inspiring, especially for for those of us who are like a little bit tired and you've been banging your head against the wall for several years, and and you say, "Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is gonna." And then people like yourself that that. And you have a long history of of unyielding um, striving to educate people about the realities of the situation, but also, um, you know, of artistry um, and and creating beauty and creating uh, powerful things. And sometimes people think those two things can't coexist, but clearly they can because they coexist in you. Thank you
1: thank you of course and i you know what i think that we're seeing every day more and more especially as we become a more interconnected society that there is a middle road you know between creative artistic expression and you know we would say something that is more formal like you know maybe politics or, or non-profit work i mean you do tend to see it more it's more better accepted and and i would say uh more very left side of politics or in in the left in general, it it seems like it might be more accepted uh, or understood. But, you know, again, real life is very diverse. (laughs) And um, I think especially now we're seeing new artists that are coming out that are having impact that aren't all necessarily so... So left leaning, when we look at you know, American American politics, you're seeing it all over the spectrum. You're seeing artists that have all levels of consciousness that they're trying to bring to the world. You know, Jimmy um, Levy, uh, Oliver 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 Stone, I think, or Oliver Brown is what his name is now. No, Anthony Oliver, excuse me, Anthony Oliver, um, and these different these different artists are coming up and they're going viral because again, they're just seeing their truth and their reality without being afraid of it and going out there and expressing it. And, um, they inspire me, you know? And I think that there's always a new artist or, you know, uh, a person within the human rights world or people that are, that are talking about conscious things. You know, and, and, again, I know everybody has their own flavor. I'm not saying that everything you have to make is conscious, you know. Uh, just me personally, I tend to lean in that direction of, again, wanting my music to have intention. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, to each his own. But let's just keep getting, becoming more truly awake and elevating and being true to ourselves. That's the goal.
2: Interesting. I'll take it. You are a fascinating, fascinating person. And I wish you all the success in the world. I'm <laughs> very proud to be your friend. I think we're friends.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. And likewise, let's, let's keep it going.
2: You're really a wonderful. Muchas cosas buenas para ti.
1: Gracias. Okay. Thank you. Likewise. And thank you to the audience. Thank you for having me. You know, and I, I can't wait to see, you know, where things go in the future.
2: Thank you so much, Kia. Of
1: course.
0: That's it. She's wonderful. Check out her music, check out her videos and her work. She's fantastic. That's it for any like, subscribe. Mas next week. Happy sangiving.